Welcome to the Kingdom of Pavement podcast. My name is Amy Sudo and I'm your co-host. It's a weird time right now to say the least. This podcast episode you're about to hear was recorded with the amazing actress Tabitha Brownstone before the pandemic was really underway. And it definitely already feels like it was a million years ago when Flannery and I recorded this interview. But a break from coronavirus content is also a welcome change of pace, and we're endlessly excited to share with you Tabitha's work, both pre- and post-apocalyptic conditions. If you've been to any of our pre-pandemic open mic nights, you'll remember Tabitha as our host playing the hilarious Edith, the character Tabitha created who is a 1950s manager, producer, whatever you want her to be for 25%. You can see more sketches with Tabitha as Edith on Edith's Instagram at Edith Presents. Without further ado, here's the interview. We're here <laughs> with Tabitha Brownstone. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's been so amazing having you host our open mic nights, like the, for the featured performers. Everybody comes up afterwards and is like, who is Edith? She's amazing. And <laughs> that's true. The character they that you play. They don't know who you actually even, are. They don't. Uh, Julie, who runs the studio, came up to me after one of the first show that you hosted and was like, she was in character the whole time. <laughs> and well, she I was also, just so she, impressed. The first thing she said was, who was that? Like, she was like, who was that? She thought you were an old lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. <laughs> well, I hope that, I hope I don't look like an old lady, particularly. I mean, right now I have dry skin, so maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, I don't think that. I don't think so. <laughs> in fact, I think you look like you could play high school. Oh, yeah. I did get an audition the other day for an 11-year-old, and I was like, guys, let's 11? not push it this far. I'm not going to take this one. Oh, my God. Yeah. This one time when I, I was 19 when I first moved here, and I auditioned for this Genji Cohen pilot, and it was yeah. for a 14-year-old, and I, no. like, thought that was so creepy and that, weird. Yeah. That's way worse than my story. Yours yeah. is way worse. Yeah. I don't look like an 11-year-old. But, oh, yeah, people do think that, like, they get confused with who's Edith and who's Tabitha. And um, I did have a couple of people from the show actually message me. Your guys' show, your mm-hmm. mic, and message me afterwards. And they were like, so um, is this you or is there another person or what's going on? <laughs> And so I like to to what to attend more of your shows or just because of confusion? No, just because of confusion, <laughs> because that was the thing that was promoted was Tabitha yes. BS, my Instagram. And then uh, people followed that and they were like, this isn't Edith. What are you talking <laughs> about? But well, I like um, that you also don't show up as Tabitha. You show up as Edith. So they don't know um, the face. That's, I think it's fun. I think we should continue to trick people. It's amazing. Fun. And it's yeah. also just a testament to like your ability as an actor to like portray this role. <laughs> like, and even with like all the audience, yeah. just like, it just, it's amazing. Yeah. Thank um, you. But I would love to hear a little bit about how you get into these characters and like, uh, and then also we want to hear a little bit more about like your history of like how you made it out here as an actor and just kind of like the whole shebang because it's just so so fascinating. And out here meeting, she's from she literally I made this it is her home. Out, this is her home home. Oh, that's this amazing. is her childhood I was home. Driven out of Glendale Adventist is how I made it <laughs> into Los Angeles. Uh straight from my mother's womb actually. <laughs> and I arrived and to this um, very spot. Yes. Yeah, nice. This exact house. Not the guest house. I started renting that when I was 20. So oh, just to to set the scene here. We're oh, yeah. in top of this house. It's beautiful. Yes. There is really cool, like palm tree wallpaper on metallic. One side of it. Oh, it's amazing. metallic. That cool. Is did you pick that out? No, my mom did. She's an interior oh, designer, so really? everything is her, basically. Oh my god! I bought the couch and picked it out, Love and it. the rugs. Love it. Nice. And 
the table we stole actually from an elementary school. Um, <laughs> this is way too fashionable for an this elementary is, school. Yeah. Well, someone is. left it there. Someone like brought yeah. it for an event and then left it. And then she was basically like, Tabitha, there's a table. That's sounds- that. <laughs> if it's not claimed, the principal of the school said I can take it. So, <laughs> and then the next month I came home one day and it was here. I love this. It's amazing. Yeah. And then there's lots of like beautiful art. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that. Have you, is that your art? That's art that I purchased in uh, Europe over the summer. Oh, I went through a mm-hmm. thing when I was like, when I was much younger, as a twenty-year-old. <laughs> no, I um was in Europe. I went to French school, so my family has like roots in France, but none of, none of us are French, and my parents don't speak French. I'm fluent in French. Mm. We go to France for vacation sometimes and one year i was like i'm just buying art only <laughs> no clothes well, so Gertrude stein said that art is the best investment exactly art, not clothes and i was Ooh. in a really like dark poetic place at that mm-hmm. time so i was definitely buying a lot of vintage art and um like fountain pens and i would journal oh, cool. all of my journals from that time are like another day of this misery. (laughs) (laughs) I sit at the typewriter and read. Yes. I with my fountain pen. Bitch. Fill it with blood. What what misery you're in France on vacation with your family. Stop. (laughs) That is the Frenchest thing I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. You sat around in Morose and wrote and made art. Yeah. That's perfect. As a 12-year-old drinking red wine, smoking (laughs) cigarettes. Wait, will you do some French accent? for us not french 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 accent oh like just uh, yeah. speaking a french accent yeah oh, you want yeah of course i speak like this sometime <laughs> and uh, my uh, you know some friends they ate it but uh, my voice really <laughs> drop an octave lower and it's like oh okay so i'm french now huh? <laughs> i yeah. mean I, amazing i don't yeah. know how anyone i'm transported you in that voice <laughs> jesus christ we're all having we're sex all, in yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah anyway sorry to distract this whole conversation oh that's so cool. tabitha as well sorry this oh, painting is tabitha I did get a portrait commissioned of myself. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank amazing. you. That was uh, from an artist. His name is Louis. And um, last name? Thomas. And that he's on Instagram. Louis Thomas. Really? And you can find him. He. Do you guys know Jeanne Damas? Mm-hmm. So, French it girl. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, local French it girl Jeanne um, <laughs> actually like posted a picture of her of her own portrait, and then I went to his page and I became immediately obsessed. I DM'd him. I was like, I need a portrait this summer, <laughs> and then I didn't. I didn't end up going to France for three years. Wow. So I put aside the money, like I saved money and put it aside for three years, wow. and then I was in France this last summer. I was actually in Europe for a month and a half doing comedy it was part vacation at first and then I did comedy and I went and toured around ended up in Scotland doing comedy and then I came back to LA but I was living alone in Paris for almost three weeks most depressing time of my entire life oh my god oh, oh my god the money I would pay to live alone in Paris for three weeks oh you'd think You'd think. Oh, I don't like, this is like my dream. I don't like people being around me. think. I don't like people being around me either. But 
Um, imagine me in like a small apartment that I Airbnb and I'm like, this is so franche, we. And it's like on the ninth story of this really chic walk up and like, I'm so chic. It's uh, killing Great, me. Chic all and, day. Oh my goodness. And there's like a nice window with a little balconette. And Oof. every night I'm having nightmares of me getting sucked out of a window. <laughs> I'm like, what's happening? So, terrible nightmares. I can't sleep. I'm like, oh, this would be the perfect opportunity for me to make art. <laughs> like, I have all of these videos of myself. It's really the most pathetic thing in the world. Dancing slowly to <laughs> sad music <laughs> and crying. <laughs> yes. That's so art. That is, that is Have art. you heard of Andy Warhol? That's, no. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> we'll get to that another time. Okay. I'll educate I'll you. I'm on the next episode. Jesus. Um, no, I actually don't know who that is, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so it was the most psychotic time of my life to be doing that. But in that time, I got that portrait painted, which is why I also look so sad. Did you have to sit like that? Yes. Were you wearing underwear? <laughs> yeah, actually going to do it nude. Oh. And then I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? Well, here's the, I don't actually know why I decided to not do it nude. I do still want to get a nude portrait painted because one, I'm crazy <laughs> and I want to give it to my grandchildren. <laughs> As a punishment or a gift? As a gift. <laughs> my body is a present. No, not about your body, just like an old grandma being like, and here's the thing that was painted on the Titanic and giving you this like naked picture yeah. well, of your, to your own relatives. I'm not going to have a great relationship with my grandchildren. I'm going to be <laughs> okay. very distant from them. They will call me that's Madam also very French. Brownstone. And Madam Brownstone. Yeah, I'm going to start smoking cigarettes at 75. I'm going to become heavily addicted to cigarettes at that age. I'm always going to have a martini and I mean, just get at away that from time, you, it's children. already downhill, so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to wear sunscreen after like 60. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, just we're living on it. the edge after 60. <laughs> We throw our sunscreen to the wind. You don't know how much that means for me to say that I'm going to stop wearing sunscreen. That's true. Flannery I have like three of them in my purse right now. Flannery's I... not going to get skin cancer. I'm going to get skin cancer. Amy won't listen to me. And it just makes me cry that she won't wear sunscreen. I don't get sunburned, so I just don't wear sunscreen. She's perfect. I don't know, but don't skin. you also sort of think like it's a ploy made by the government to like force everyone to wear sunscreen? Okay, so next or subject. Sunscreen <laughs> lobby. I think many things are employed by the government, but not maybe not that, but maybe. I think flossing for sure. Flossing <laughs> is definitely oh my. Flossing All of that money psycho. in the flossing industry. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't flossed in 15 years, and I went to the dentist uh, six months ago, and they were like, your teeth are in perfect condition. Don't oh do anything differently. And I was like... <laughs> Okay. Um, speaking of uh, conspiracy theories and ploys from the government, <laughs> let's, go back, let's go back to talking about Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> let's talk about your your acting career and and kind of like how you like what made you want to become an actor and what made you want to get into comedy and how's it like been working in comedy in Los Angeles? Right. So I've been a performer and an actor for basically my entire life. I grew up knowing that this is what I wanted to do, you know, like, would force my friends to do acting scenes, and we put on plays, the classic, you know, 
Uh, everyone's like, I force my friends to do cry in a dramatic scene. I'm like, yes, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Um, when I was little, sorry to interrupt you. When I was little, I watched so many musicals with my mom that I thought when you really had to like say something emotional or difficult, you had to sing it. And so I would sing yeah. at my friends. I'm like, don't worry, Amy, it will be fine. That's what I thought. <laughs> oh, it was really bad for my social life. Um, but no, but that's cool. beautiful. Yeah, that is, is nice. I was in a singing and dancing performance troupe, and we would travel around the West United States. We didn't go, like, across country, but we went locally to, like, Arizona and Washington. Um, and we would just sing songs that were, like, anti-drug campaigns. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, committing people to, like, living a better life. So, <laughs> and I think doing that really like solidified in me like okay yes performing is what i love to do it's what i need um because just getting that validation from the audience is the best thing in the world (laughs) (laughs) um no so i i started acting professionally when i was eight years old and um immediately had great success it was it really set me up for a different perspective as an adult, I think, because uh, my first audition was for this like Disney thing, and I went all the way to producers on it, and I wa- I didn't get, I didn't book the job, but because I walked into the room and it was a hot pink room, and I'm eight years old, and it's a hot pink room with every Disney toy you've ever wanted in your entire life, wow, just open and ready to be played what? with, and they're like, is it a oh, commercial? No. What? I went to, like, Disney headquarters in oh. Burbank, and we're, like, there, and I I walked out of the room, and I was like, Mom, I didn't do a good job on that, because they had the tent that I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> the tent? The Disney oh. princess tent, and it had, like, all these princesses on it, and so I didn't book that, but I did book my second audition, which was um, a film called Domino, directed by Tony Scott, and I played a young Kira Knightley in that. Oh. Yeah. And that, it was funny because I remember going, auditioning, getting the second callback, and then the third, and then auditioning for Tony Scott. And the character has a British accent because she's British. So I've been practicing. I had a, a coach and, like, really been practicing this British accent. And I walk in, and Tony Scott is British. So <laughs> I go... I would just remember, like, okay, I'm American, and I'm not going to do a British accent. And so mm. I left the audition, and my mom was like, how did it go? Did you do the accent? And I was like, no, because he's British, so he would know it was fake. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, that's pretty instinct for a child. Yeah. yeah. And so she was like, okay, well, I hate my daughter, and she's not booking this job. <laughs> <laughs> $600 of accent later. <laughs> guess what, mom? <laughs> I did book the job. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was super fun. And I got to go to Vegas. We shot at the very top of the stratosphere. And like, oh, wow. they removed all the windows and shot machine guns. And it was psycho. <laughs> the whole thing was just a crazy experience. And Ooh, what? <laughs> I know. What is this movie about? Do- Domino, it's about it. a have, bounty yeah, hunter. Yeah, a long time oh. ago. It's, it's, it's really good. Yeah. 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 It's actually really good. Did you do a little British accent as young Tabitha? Yes. Will yeah. you impersonate it for us? No, because now I started doing an Australian accent, and uh. so now my British does sound like Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> so, hello, puppies. <laughs> it's very, very not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did that and then continued acting uh, 
through like 13, 14 years old, did a couple of other TV spots, some commercial campaigns, and then another film, and then another film, and then sort of um, came back one day. Every time I would leave to shoot a project, like it would, it, people at my school, my fellow classmates would be like, loser, you missed all of these days of classes. Like, oh, oh my God. So then eventually I was just, I was like 13 or 14 and I, decided okay i'm just gonna go to school and be, be normal kid. yeah mm-hmm. um which you know who knows who maybe it was the wrong choice maybe it was the right choice i don't know maybe i would have been Lindsay lohan by now i'm not sure <laughs> we're all just trying to be Lindsay lohan yeah yeah i do believe in myself that much that i would have become her um so then i went to school studied uh still did a little bit of acting i went to performing arts high school so yeah. were other kids acting who were going on auditions and did that make you want to go do it again? No, no one. Okay. No one. Mm. No one was allowed to leave public school to go mm. on auditions. Huh. Uh but I did do theater there. And okay. uh yeah, it was not a good experience oh, no. <laughs> doing high school theater because the teacher like uh there are teachers with good intentions, I think. Mm-hmm. Um the uh the people that i studied with i don't know that they had the best intentions for me they did not always say very encouraging things mm. uh yeah notably one teacher i wanted to be in um the advanced acting class because mm-hmm. i was an intermediate for 2 years and i was like hey i've worked professionally <laughs> like, <laughs> i've earned this and so i went and asked him like when do you think i'll be able to get into advanced and he was like you're just not as good as you think you are. Oof. No. I was like, wow. <laughs> and I remember looking at him and being like, okay, thanks for your advice. And then I walked out and I just bawled and oh. I didn't stop crying. Um, but then guess what? I got into advanced <laughs> acting and I won first place in a competition. Oh, good. Yeah. And then when he went to hug me, I didn't hug him back because he did nothing for my career. So. <laughs> That's so fascinating because growing up in the Midwest, being in theater in high school was like mm-hmm. everyone did it and it was just so for fun. And it was oh, like yeah. the best experience yeah. I could have ever had. And honestly, like the ability to actually play and be free in choices was just to them through the roof. Right. And I feel like a lot of those experiences are when I learned the most about acting, just getting to be like a comedic lead and go for it. So hearing a comment like that is so tough. Like I can't right. imagine that at such a yeah, young age. Especially like, like as that. like as when we're growing up and being creatives, like it's so vulnerable to like yeah. move outside of the sphere of like what's accepted in terms of like careers you should aspire to and like want to be creative and like to have a teacher just like shut you down like that that sucks that's awful like and it's it's a shame that there are people who don't support the arts in that way and yeah right but uh yeah i also understand i mean i don't want to side with him because obviously it was a horrible thing but i also understand like i guess where he was coming from i don't know it was a crappy thing to do and but i'm just lucky that i have like parents and friends who are very supportive and Upon hearing that, you know, I went home and definitely cried to my parents and they were just, you know what, just keep going. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And just because, like, who's in your advanced acting class? Okay, what are they doing? Well, one of those students was on stage for the Oscars, too. So So maybe I don't know. That should have been you if it weren't for that. (laughs) 
yeah, you went first. You, 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 you've overcome all of those challenges. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah. Well, I'm really curious, like, why comedy and also, like, how you got into, like, creating these really interesting characters that are so different from yourself. And, like, because I, I remember, like, going on your Instagram and seeing, like, your gamer character and, of course, Edith. And, like, it's just so your incredible. school girl character. Like, Kelly, incredible. I really relate like, how to do her. You, like, how, where did these come out of? And, like, how did you, were you always drawn to comedy or... It's interesting because I was not always drawn to comedy. I've always thought of myself as a very serious actor. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny because I also approach comedy from that mindset. So, like, Edith, I've cried as Edith so many times just going to my deep private moments and, like, what was the most traumatic thing that happened to her and all this stuff and, like, really sitting with that. And so Mm -hmm. I treat it very dramatically. Which I think also adds to the comedy of it because you have to take yourself seriously when you're playing a character or else people get lost. And if you break character, it can be funny, but like during a live show, it makes people uncomfortable. And yeah. 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 I love So we went to your show, for listeners, we went to your show at the Dynasty Typewriter, which was amazing. And one thing that I was so impressed by is like, no matter, like you did such a great job with your guests that you brought on stage. And I think that was so great to kind of allow them like space to both perform and also kind of be guests on your like late night shows. Like, and like, how, how do you approach like interacting with guests and not breaking character, even if they might, like, they might be a little unsteady or a little, like, uncomfortable and trying to figure out how to play off of you. Because I think it's just so interesting, like, when you bring up other people on stage, like, you interact with them so well and encourage them so well. Thank you. So I'm kind of curious, like, how you stay in character and get them to play along with you as Edith, like, on stage. Right. I think it's just having spent so much time with her as the character and Mm -hmm. really committing to her fully. Like, I take Edith very seriously. She Mm -hmm. is a woman with pain and heartbreak and, like, has suffered for years through all the trials and tribulations of Hollywood and, like, why are these things so affecting her so deeply? And and it feels dumb to talk about it. No, it doesn't. But it is, like, an, like, actor process, sort of. Um, I I relate so much when you said I consider myself a serious actor. Mm-hmm. I find the stuff that I find the funniest is stuff that's rooted in drama, and then it's mm-hmm. funny because you like Fleabag, for example. Right, exactly. And I, that's why I think comedy is so much harder because you have to do all of that real, like that really grounded work, and then you can find the context in which it's funny. Mm-hmm. So, right. like the fact that like this woman Edith, what time is she from the forties? Yeah, from like the golden age. The golden film, age. Like right? think about all of those things she went through as a person and like yeah. like how difficult it was to be a woman in that time period. And then <laughs> you put her right? <laughs> then you put her in this modern context, talking Still to Nick Hoon in a jumpsuit. Like it's really funny. But it's only funny because it's true. Right. Yeah. And because it's it comes from a place of truth. Yeah. And mm. she really does give me an outlet to feel all of the different ways that I feel about yeah. my career, my friends' careers, my peers, like everyone, and just the, the industry in general, because there's so much that's like so messed up about the industry and so little you have control over and so little you can say about it because if i go on a twitter rampage about oh i hate this that the other thing it's like okay well then these certain casting directors will never call me in again so to then Mm. it's sort of a a loophole of like how can i feel my feelings Mm. (laughs) yeah i love you did a story the other day about wearing a bray at a casting session Mm -hmm. and i thought that was so funny because personally i've been, I've had a lot of 
times when I've been ridiculed for like how I did my hair or like that made you look too old or mm. this made you look X, Y, Z. And it's just like, they act like we're supposed to just know these things and like, like yeah. be experts on like what they think. For some backstory, I had an audition that I was for a college student that was like, doesn't party too much, studies a good amount. So <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> to me, that means I'm wearing a beret. <laughs> I, I see that. I and, see that 100%. Right. And I wore it how a college student in that phase wears a beret, which is they walk into a room and they're like, what, do you have a problem with my beret? And it's like, no one said anything to you, <laughs> first of all. So, yeah, I wore a beret to an audition. I felt a little bit of tenseness <laughs> and um, then got a call back for it, which I was not expecting. And... Um, then saw Daniel, a mutual friend of ours, at the callback, and um, <laughs> my roommate. Yes. Oh, oh, oh Daniel. Our okay. Daniel. Yeah. yeah. Our Daniel. Our Daniel. <laughs> it's all of our Daniel. Um, yeah, but I was just like, it just nothing matters mm-hmm. in the big. It's like do what you think is the best choice because mm-hmm. that's the only thing that you know. And if I thought wearing a beret was the right move for this character, Mm -hmm. then that's what I'm gonna do. The whole game of acting is so difficult Mm -hmm. wherein you're constantly like looking to people for approval and those people can't even give you the approval that you seek. So it's like a casting director isn't the person who's gonna give you the job. They are gonna put you in front of the director, but and the producers, but, like, they don't know. No one knows. No one knows anything. No one knows <laughs> yeah. anything. Um, and it's just frustrating. But, anyway, I don't remember how we got to this. But that's why I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, you know, how difficult it can be, we were talking earlier about how we both received comments about weight and things like that. <laughs> how do you, and, and we have a lot of younger listeners who are, like, still in high school wanting to be actors, like, do you have any stories that you think would be inspirational or do you want to talk about like your journey from just starting out professionally again to now? Definitely feel like, well, as far as body image is concerned, it's like the best thing you can do is however you feel the most comfortable in your body. And that's what people are going to see. That's what comes through. If someone, if you're, you can be 10 pounds like literally weigh 10 pounds or you can weigh i don't know 600 pounds <laughs> and if you're not comfortable you're not gonna it's not it's gonna come across on camera in your auditions <clears throat> and so like it uh, i hate the body image stuff because yeah. it's so like psycho and everything's changing now mm-hmm. with every platform people are really being shown for actual real human beings which is Thank God. Yeah, because, it's a huge change. Yeah, and it's like... Especially between now and five years. I don't know if you feel this, but I moved here. Or maybe I actually moved here seven years ago, but I still remember like five years ago when things were just getting started with streaming. It was still that archetype of like that network archetype. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you needed to be, if you were a woman, they expected you to be 110 pounds. Right. And it, that's, that was it. And like you only fit into one box but as soon as like netflix blew up and then every other streaming service blew up people were starting to value the Issa rays of the world the phoebe waller bridges of the world the mini kalings of the world and it's like wow it took you long enough <laughs> yeah. seriously yeah i don't know particularly about inspiring stories but i guess just about persistence like this last edith show was 
a huge win for me. It was it's called Edith Presents. Um, that's also her Instagram at Edith Presents. And um it started off as a character that It started off as a Katherine Hepburn voice that I would do (laughs) and just go, darling, and uh, as a child. And then one day I was like doing stand-up comedy and uh, was just like, hey, to a friend, do you want to film some comedy sketches together? And then just randomly started shooting sketches of Edith and then noticed like, oh, people, this is really resonating with people and uh, she's fun to do. And then I went to a party, met a producer, and he was like, oh, do you have a show at the Hollywood Fringe Festival? And I said, no. And he said, let's get you one. And then I had an hour-long show there. And then that took me to Scotland. And then it brought me to this show at the Dynasty Typewriter. And I was like, this is amazing to me. And just to see that growth coming out of a place... Because when I started doing comedy, it was in a mindset of, oh, let me take more charge over my career. This is something that I can, you can do it anywhere, anytime and have fun doing it. And um, maybe you don't make money for the first <laughs> 15 years that you're doing it. But it, um, so I started it from that and it started not really from a place of defeat, but a place of like, I need to feel controlling over something. Like mm-hmm. I have any control over something because you know, with self-tape auditions, it's harder to feel oh my God, in yes. control. That's why yeah. I started writing. So, so frustrated. Everything fell out of my control as an actor. And right. I was just like, I need to, I need to grip onto something right. that I can do every day. Yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And it's just been really awesome to see how you've been so mindful and like the way that you've like gone after things and made career decisions. And it's just, it's amazing. Thank you. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap up our interview with uh, maybe like one last question about maybe your favorite thing about Los Angeles and about being here and working here and the city and the people in it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and also if there's anything coming up that we can all And also, out. yeah, anything that you want us to be, yeah, anything that you want to talk about of like what's next and kind of where you're headed. Yeah, well, Los Angeles, it's difficult because I've spent my entire life here. So <laughs> I love everything about Los Angeles and I also hate everything about it. <laughs> um, but I guess just, like, how much opportunity there is here and how many different things you can do with that opportunity. Like, I'm very fortunate in that to have, um, quote-unquote, survival jobs. Uh, I've always been able to find something that's in the industry um, and in weird ways, sometimes to a fault in the industry. (laughs) Like, and, uh, like... I worked at like a live streaming company and we would just talk to like strangers in China. And <laughs> they it was nothing sexual, but sometimes they'd be like, show me your feet. And I'd be like, mm, okay, but <laughs> um so I guess just all of the opportunity and that there's so many really good people here. And there's a lot of bad people here, but that's the same thing as everywhere. And I feel like we're lucky because so many people come to Los Angeles to pursue things so you can find a different person for anything. Mm. And it's like, I'm a part of so many Facebook groups that are like, (laughs) filmmakers in LA, the people of, the comedy people of LA, and like all this stuff. And I don't feel like I wouldn't get that in in anywhere other than like Chicago, New York. And I also love being in my car. (laughs) Yeah. 
it's if you need a good cry after an audition it's perfect place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly look anyone in the face yeah, yeah. <laughs> which um i would miss sometimes i think about moving to new york and i'm like i would miss my car because i do <laughs> love being in there mm-hmm. um yeah so that's pretty much what i love about la and that um my mom and dad are here so <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and um no yeah like i have uh um i perform at your guys' show i perform all around la i should have another big show coming up in may which will be exciting and edith show uh thank you so yeah just follow me on tabitha underscore bs the BS is for Brownstone, which is my last name, and because <laughs> I'm full of bullshit. And then also uh, at Edith Presents is my other Instagram for Edith because awesome. we're different people at this point. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. We will. Yeah, we will that. encourage everyone. That. Yeah, we'll encourage everyone to follow. You're amazing. Thank you again for coming Thank and you. like performing at our open mics and of just course. being like such a lively presence. Like it really, really does like change the tone of the night in a really positive way. And those are so much great fun. shows that you guys Thank put you. on. Thanks. I'm really like really yeah. impressed by them. That's Thank not you. typical of other open mics in <laughs> Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good environment that you guys set up. Well, it's good to hear it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for having us here today, too. And yeah. To talk yeah. With us. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, we love all your art, too. Thank Bands you. Fans love the art. <laughs> what other compliments can we get from her? Um, Please, anything. You. Yeah. No one said anything about my dress. Do you guys like my dress? All the great dress. dress. Thank so you. <laughs> Once again, a big thank you to Tabitha Brownstone for coming on the Kingdom of Pavement podcast and for being such an amazing host for our open mic nights. Hopefully, she will be able to return when this pandemic is over and my cat in the background agrees. (laughs) If you want to follow Tabitha, which you should, make sure to follow her at, at Tabitha underscore BS and at Edith Presents. If you like the kinds of content we're creating for you here at Kingdom of Pavement, we'd love your support. Consider becoming a patron by going to our website at kingdomofpavement.com and selecting Pavement Patrons on the menu bar. By even donating from $1 to $5 a month, we can continue to interview artists and find ways to support our creative community in Los Angeles and beyond in these hard times. Thanks again for listening to the Kingdom of Pavement podcast, and we'll be back with more content.